The more time people are spending on their smartphones, their tablets, the more time they're spending isolated at home, utilizing those devices, the more valuable communal experiences become. Communal sharing of events is becoming extremely popular. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Wilco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the restaurant industry. Now, here's your host, Wilco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table. Two episodes ago, I did an episode dedicated to speaking about ideas and thoughts for those who are uh, contemplating opening a restaurant or or scaling a business in the hospitality industry. And I got a lot of great feedback, but I also got a number of questions and I also got a number of thoughts pertaining to a different side of the coin, which is, what about restaurants that are already open and are doing exceptionally well? How can they leverage that success to greater and greater heights? And I also got some questions from people who have been in business a long time and they're facing certain challenges These were people who operate in New York City, but the challenges that they're facing certainly would exist in other markets as well, and they were asking me for thoughts on that. So I thought it would be appropriate for me to do another episode where I sort of address those issues, share my thoughts on them from my vantage point as CEO of Wilco Foods and having had the the pleasure and the opportunity of seeing a lot in this industry over the years I've been working in it. To have an episode directed towards those types of concerns. One, if you're doing great, how do you leverage that opportunity and build upon it and scale, whether within your four walls or beyond it? And two, if you're not doing as well as you'd like and you're facing certain challenges that are common, how do you respond to those challenges so that you can not only survive, but actually thrive? I'm going to do an episode on that right now, and let me just jump right into it. One of the biggest challenges facing any restaurant, bar, uh, really any business you can think of in New York City right now uh, is rents. And most of my discussions, I must say, are centered around the New York City market, but the challenges are by no means unique to New York. So I know we have a lot of listeners in markets outside of New York. This information will be very valuable for you as well, but uh, I'm just going to keep saying New York because most of my insights come from operating within the New York City area. So in any event, As I was saying, one of the biggest challenges any business faces if they don't own their own uh, building where they operate out of is rent. And what happened in our industry is after the crash of 2008, it was the first time in a long time when the power shift moved in the favor of tenants, particularly restaurants. And I remember that time very well because a number of our clients used that opportunity to renegotiate existing leases Or if they had what they felt was a great brand, they used the opportunity to go into different markets within the New York area and leverage the power they now had as a tenant. And that was in 2008, 2009. Now, most leases are 10-year leases. So as you can imagine, most of these leases have been coming up over the past year, year and a half. And the environment's been quite different. And so many restaurants are facing challenges associated with increasing rents. And... That's one of the most difficult things you can deal with. So I do have some thoughts on that. Some are optimistic, some are tactical, but I think they'll be of value to you depending upon where you're at in your lease cycle and where you're at with respect to your business. I am of the opinion 
that the shift is about to turn back in the direction of the tenants. Uh, if you drive around New York City right now, you will see more vacant real estate than I've ever seen uh, at the commercial level, and I was born and raised in New York City. Certainly, it's as bad as I've ever seen it. And there are a lot of pressures out there uh, being put upon landlords to open up that space and rent it. Now, some of that space, which was utilized for conventional retail, is not going to be repurposed again as a retail establishment. Uh, many of the experiences that we used to uh, enjoy uh, utilizing conventional retail to buy things, those uh, experiences and that business, if you will, has migrated online, and I don't believe it's coming back. So obviously, if you go around New York City, you'll see a lot of soul cycles. You'll see daycare centers. You will see yoga studios, nail salons. And a lot of the space that is currently not occupied, I believe, is going to be turned into restaurant space. So if you're thinking about opening another location, let's assume you have a successful restaurant and you have plenty of time left on your lease. The first thing I would do, of course, would be to renegotiate that lease now if you can, and get extra years on it at a favorable rate. I think landlords are starting to really appreciate the value of a paying tenant. And if you have the opportunity to renegotiate, do that. But if you have a brand that is doing exceptionally well in one part of New York, and you want to deploy that concept in other areas, particularly in Manhattan, which is, I think, where the shortage of space is most acute, I believe things will begin to move in your favor over the next 12 to 18 months and I think it will be in your interest right now to get a real estate broker, start looking and start negotiating. Because as I say, there's so much space out there. We've been in a 10-year uh, period of economic growth in a bull market. These things, generally speaking, don't last forever. Uh, a lot of people are thinking that way. I think people who own these spaces are getting a little bit more nervous, a little bit more desirous of doing a deal. Start looking. If you have a successful restaurant and it's a brand that you can deploy elsewhere, this may be a great time for you. The second thing with respect to operating and working with landlords and leases and all of that is you can be creative in the type of deal that you structure with your landlord. Depending upon the space, depending upon how established your brand is and where you are in the market, we're now at a moment in time where landlords are particularly receptive to engage in some form of quasi-partnership with some of their tenants. So let's say you have a great concept and you find a great location. Now the asking rent for that location may be a little bit more than you want to spend. But one idea I have, because it's worked out in the past for many people and it could work for you as well, Find out who the landlord is and negotiate with them directly so that you can get a fair market or even a little bit below fair market rent in exchange for giving up a certain percentage either of the business or a certain percentage of sales on the business, almost like a quasi-royalty, if you will. In other words, if you have an idea of what you're going to be doing in sales and what your margins are going to be, and you want to lock in a fixed overhead expense that you're comfortable with, it may be a good strategy for you to negotiate with a landlord if they're willing to do it for a situation where you pay, as I say, ideally a little bit below market rent. And I do believe rents are going to be coming in over the next 12 to 24 months. You pay a little bit below a market rent and you give them a percentage of the sales. Now, this is something a little bit more sophisticated. You're going to absolutely want to make sure that you have appropriate advice and you structure the deal on the legal side in a manner that works for you and your business. But again, 
What you want to do now is if you have a restaurant or a bar or a concept that's working in one location and you can show that, you're now going to be a more desirable tenant. If you can further leverage that to lower your fixed costs in exchange for a percentage of sales, which obviously the more sales go up, the more money you're going to make, the landlord may be amenable to such an arrangement, and it could be an opportunity for you to put yourself in a better position. This is not something that I don't think would have been thought about or even considered by landlords five, six, seven years ago. As the pendulum shifts, you need to be more creative and you need to recognize that things may be moving in your direction. You want to structure things for the benefit of your business. And the final thing that I would say with respect to spaces is if you have a great brand, okay, if you can find a great location, the perfect spot that enables you to do almost a little bit more of a scaled down version of your brand so that it's more, let's say, associated with pickup or you design it to be more uh, easily utilized as a delivery option or you position it somewhere in the market where you're leveraging your brand but you're not putting yourself in the position where you have to do the same type of capital outlay that you may have done originally. I can think of specific companies that have done this, but I don't want to use them by name. So I'll just give you a for instance. Let's say you have a phenomenal 100-seat restaurant, and whatever the concept around it is, you're constantly slammed, and you're famous for three, four, five menu options. You're famous for your vibe, how people feel about it how they associate your brand with life in general and their lifestyle in New York City. You can take that brand and deploy it in a different iteration where you leverage the brand that you've built, but don't put yourself in a position where you have to go through the whole rigmarole again of a 100-seat-plus restaurant with a liquor license and what have you. This is a very tactical deployment, but you know what? I will give one example of it because it's a guy that I have an enormous amount of respect for, and he's done a great job. If you look at the restaurant Sweet Chick out in Brooklyn, they now have a kiosk in City Field, and they will probably begin opening up other similar types of iterations of that concept in the coming years. Now, the original Sweet Chick, if you ever have an opportunity to go there, it's got a bar. There's a great vibe around it. John Seymour and his team have done an absolutely unbelievable job building that brand. That brand is now strong enough where he can take the main menu concepts, in that case, chicken and waffles, and deploy it in a smaller context, leveraging the brand, scaling his business, having the opportunity to generate revenue without having to go through all the additional expenses. This may be something you want to do because I have a feeling that the type of space that we see available in New York is going to have to be rearranged. A lot of these big box megastore concepts are not coming back. Some of them will be redeployed as fulfillment centers for delivery companies, Amazon, Walmart, etc. A lot of these spaces are going to get chopped up. And we see a big movement towards food court. But if you can have a brick-and-mortar presence, a little bit smaller footprint, leverage the brand you've created, thereby scaling your, you know, your sales, especially if you have a commissary where you prepare everything, could be a great opportunity for you. So the, the big takeaway is be very attentive to what's going on in the real estate market right now. It can shift in your direction. And if you have a successful restaurant or a brand, you want to take advantage of that. The second thing that is extremely important to do now more than ever in the restaurant business is to recognize that there is a great hunger out there for communal sharing of events. 
The more time people are spending on their smartphones, their tablets, the more time they're spending isolated at home, utilizing those devices, the more valuable communal experiences become. So if you think about it, in an era before cell phones, going out and engaging with human beings, whether at the library, the restaurant, uh, the cafe, the post office, that was the norm. But now people are able to curate their lives to such an extent that choosing to engage with people is actually just, it's not an obligatory part of life. And what I'm finding, and I've discussed this elsewhere, is that communal sharing of events is becoming extremely popular. And so what you will find is you now see restaurants, bars, and other hospitality establishments doing things such as trivia night, having communal showings of the democratic debate, having a movie night, certainly sporting events or a standby. But you need to recognize that people are now making a decision. They've had enough time with their cell phone. They want to go out. They want to have something experiential. The restaurant industry is particularly suited to accommodate that demand if done properly. And what I mean when I say if done properly, there are certain restaurants that open up anywhere in America, like the Rainforest Cafe, and they think that the experience that they're going to give people is like waterfalls inside the restaurant and an environment that looks like a jungle. That's not going to fly in New York City or any other sophisticated environment. That's not the type of experience people are looking for. But if you can have a phenomenal trivia night, if you can have an evening where you're putting on for communal display something that your loyal uh, regulars will like and something that other people would like to come in and do, that would be absolutely phenomenal. And what I'm finding is restaurants who would traditionally not even consider doing that type of thing, they're doing it. In fact, I'm even seeing it on a chain type scale. I see that Bear Burger now has trivia nights. That means that they've tested this nationwide and they recognize that when people go to Bear Burger, even they are looking for something more than whatever the Bear Burger brand offers and all that other stuff. They're looking for a form of community engagement. This can take the form of the aforementioned events that I talked about. It can take the form of a menu tasting where you invite people in and you say, hey, listen, for my regulars, at the end of dinner, come 11 o'clock tonight, we're going to be tasting all of the different desserts I'm sampling on the menu. It can be a scotch tasting. It can be a wine and food pairing. But this is what people want. And those restaurateurs that are thinking about that and utilizing it within their existing concepts are going to be generating additional revenue, and they're going to be putting themselves in a position where they're going to be a go-to destination. It's very important that you incorporate this into what you're doing. Not every restaurant has to do it, but a lot of restaurants that are not having the sales and the revenue that they like, and they may be well-established neighborhood restaurants, you need to start incorporating these things because it doesn't cost you any additional money. You're leveraging all your resources, but you're utilizing a new marketing device that could absolutely draw more people into your restaurant and differentiate yourself. And as word of mouth spreads, you might find yourself accommodating a whole new class of regulars. So something very important to think about. The third thing to give people some comfort, if you will, is the following. One of the biggest challenges that it's confronted the hospitality industry in New York and elsewhere in the country has been the rise of minimum wage and labor costs. And in New York City, it's now $15 an hour, as it is in many other parts of the country. But I would say this, the odds of them increasing minimum wage again in an appreciable way in the coming three to four years, I would say is a low probability event. So for those of you 
who have found a way to successfully navigate that challenge and you're profitable, that challenge is in your rearview mirror for now. Now, you do always need to be thinking about all of your costs when you run a business, but the labor costs in particular had a major move up in New York City, and that is a trend that is probably going to abate for a while. But rather than be complacent, one of the things that many innovative restaurants are doing is combining back-of-the-house and front-of-the-house work to not only enhance the customer experience, but to do what they can to mitigate the cost of labor. So really think about what opportunities exist within your restaurant to leverage your existing human resources. As I've said in many podcasts, there is nothing more valuable to your restaurant than the experience that your customers have with your staff. We've said it before. People can overlook a subpar meal or a subpar drink. If they're not treated well or they don't have a good experience with the human beings that they engage with, the odds of them coming back are very low. So you need to think creatively how you can utilize your bartender, the people in the back of the house, your host staff, your wait staff, your bus staff. Really look at those jobs and reimagine them. There are a lot of articles about this, which I would encourage you to do a little research on. It's actually quite a big trend where there, the lines between front of the house and back of the house are getting more and more blurred. This started as a trend many years ago with the wide open kitchen, but it's becoming to be an even less significant distinction. So on the one hand, if you're, up, if you're able to navigate the increase in labor costs that we've seen over the past several months and years, that's probably not going to repeat itself in the coming years. It will down the road, but you know, you're going to get a break for a while. But use this respite to reimagine your existing staff and see how they can be utilized better to not only potentially save you some money uh, on labor costs, but much more importantly, enhance the experience of your customers so that they get something really special and it's an absolute win-win for you. The fourth thing is utilization of technology is going to become more and more important. And as with any form of technology, some of it comes along and sounds really cool. And in my mind, it's kind of a waste. And other parts of technology that are coming along are really essential. Let me share with you uh, a technological trend that I don't see an enormous amount of value in. I'm going to put a stake in the sand. You'll Agree, disagree. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But there are people out there now who are seeking to utilize data on customer habits in a neighborhood restaurant and leverage that information so that the restaurant can be more profitable. So a very good example would be if you have a regular who comes in every Wednesday for happy hour and you know that she likes two olives in her martini you can accommodate that before she even asks. Or if you have a gentleman that comes in that you know wants extra, whatever it would be, extra barbecue sauce with their uh, meal, you can accommodate that. I think if you're running a restaurant and you haven't trained your staff and yourself to be attentive to the needs of your regulars, that technology is not going to help you. Total waste of money. Now, maybe on a nationwide chain or maybe other uses of that technology will be great. But if you own a restaurant, you need to be training your staff and yourself to be highly attentive to your regulars because no matter how great social media is, no matter how great television, radio, advertisement is, nothing is better than word of mouth. So I would not be investing a lot of money in tools 
of the nature that I just described. I think you'd be much better served forcing your human resources to be attentive to what your regulars want. Now, obviously data that enables you to enhance what you purchase at what time and other things is of course great, but utilizing data to accommodate the needs of your regulars if you own one or two restaurants, in my view, that's something that should be handled by your staff. If you're outsourcing that to tech, that's not a good idea. Here are some good examples of utilization of tech. One, I think almost every restaurant, without exception, should have their own, they already have their own website, hopefully. If you don't, you should have that. Really consider building your own app for your restaurant. One of the things that you need to do in this world where people's attention is so much more directed on their cell phones is develop a sense of community between your customers and yourself through the mobile device. And apps are a great way to do that. Now, obviously, there's a cost to this, so you'll have to do some research. But if you can design a really intuitive and fun and easy-to-use app that enables your customers to engage with you, make reservations on your app, customer specials on your app, loyalty points on your app, the list goes on and on. If you can afford to design a mobile app and utilize it in a way that enhances the relationship between you and your customers, I think you'll have an enormous advantage over restaurants that don't do that or who are late to the game. I know we have a phenomenal mobile app here at Wilco Foods. We've had it for a few years. The level of engagement with our customers now is phenomenal. Forget about the fact that you guys can now order easily and get everything you need. It gives us here at Wilco an opportunity to share information with you in real time in a device that you're using, and it really strengthens our engagement. There's no reason restaurants shouldn't be doing that. I would also say that there's a decent possibility at some point in the future that someone's going to come up with a better solution than what we currently have in these third-party delivery companies such as Grubhub, Uber Eats, and the rest of it. And if you already have an established mobile app, and you've developed a relationship and brand with your customers, I think you're gonna have a much easier time capitalizing on those new solutions when they come. So one, think about whether or not it wouldn't be appropriate for you to invest in a mobile app, and if you do, think first and foremost of using it as a way to engage and strengthen the relationship with your customers. Obviously they should use it for takeout, obviously they should use it to make reservations if you can have the whole thing interfaced. They can ask questions. There's a lot of other ways you can do it, including loyalty points, bonus programs, acknowledging people on their birthday, et cetera, et cetera. Very important tool. Second thing I would say, and I think this does go under technology, although it might not, but I'm going to put it here anyway, and it's certainly something that would go great with an app for your restaurant, is encourage pickup. Remember what I said a while ago where people are engaging with their cell phone a lot more than ever, obviously, and so when they choose to engage in a communal manner, it's become a choice. Well, I don't believe as great as Amazon is, as great as Netflix is, as great as Grubhub may be, that human beings are going to relegate themselves to solitary confinement in New York City. I think New York City is all about being on the streets, engaging with your community, getting out, feeling the energy. If not, what is New York City about, right? So if you can encourage people to pick up at your restaurant rather than get delivery, I think you'll find that it creates opportunities that you may not be tapping into. One, obviously you don't have to pay the third-party delivery costs. Two, when people come in, if you have your pickup section designed properly, you can find a way to engage with them that strengthens your relationship with them and also serves as a powerful marketing tool. 
offering them samples of a baked good that you have, offering them bonus points when they come back, offering them a referral program if they give their friends. Some of these tools, of course, can be utilized for your dine-in clientele. But pickup, I think, is a trend that's going to get bigger and bigger. Um, You know, people are getting conditioned to now you would go to Walmart, you would go inside and shop. Well, you still have to go to Walmart, but they bring it to your car. As more and more people see this going on, even in New York City, people who are two blocks away from a restaurant, they're going to say to themselves, I don't want to sit down and go through the whole rigmarole. I'm eating by myself tonight, but you know what? I want to get out of the house. Let me walk the streets a little bit. I'll walk the dog and I'll pick up. There's a lot more of that opportunity in New York City than you can even imagine, but no one is marketing to it. If you're restaurants successfully markets to getting people to pick up because remember new york city is just a constellation of small towns what percentage of your customers are getting delivery from you within a five block radius you'll be shocked to find out how many of them are now market to them in a way where one they don't have to pay the delivery fee so they're going to save some money two you're not paying the third-party delivery app three you're creating something experiential when they come in and pick up right It's a win-win-win. It'll drive revenue to your bottom line. It will create an opportunity for people who may want to just get out of their house for 10 or 15 minutes and then go back home and watch Netflix. You know, I'm not saying this is going to be the case in every situation. Maybe it's only the case in 10 or 15% of them. Would you like 15% reduction in your third-party delivery costs? Well, this is an idea that I would strongly suggest that you try. And if you successfully deploy the mobile app concept... You can leverage the relationship with the mobile app to create mammoth incentives for pickup. I think it's a great idea. I think it's an idea that's going to become more and more prevalent. And you know your restaurant. If it works for you, I think, or if you think it would work, it would work for you. I absolutely think it's something you should try. The final point that I would make with respect to trends that are appropriate for existing restaurants that are thriving or ones that are somewhat challenged, here's another encouraging thought. The dollar is extremely strong right now, and the strength of the dollar, I believe, is inhibiting tourism more than we're recognizing in New York and elsewhere. That trend won't last forever, okay? So you have to recognize that if you have a business that's heavily contingent upon tourists, you're going to be facing some headwinds right now. You're going to be facing some headwinds in that circumstance. What's the solution? Pivot and start targeting people who live and work in New York. There are many businesses. I remember the best time, I think, for tourism to New York was in the 90s. The dollar was so weak to the euro. I think it got to $1.56, maybe worse, where people were flying to New York City just to go shopping and buy stuff and eat and fly home. It was cheaper than going shopping in London or Paris. So if you're a restaurant and you've been thriving in the past on tourism and the weak dollar, That trend may not abate that quickly. You need to pivot and start appealing to regulars, whether you're in Times Square, whether you're anywhere in New York City that is traditionally geared towards tourists. New York City is a small enough community where you can pivot and target to people who live in New York. Now, that's going to be a challenging sell. And the reason is because of the changes in the salt tax. People who work and live in New York City lost some substantial tax deductions. And like anywhere else in America, people who are on a budget, they may be feeling that. But I think if you have a great concept and you do it properly, you'll be surprised how much lunch business you can drive up if you target offices within your area. 
If there's residential space within your area, you've got to target it. I always say when it comes to targeting a residential area, don't shy away from the old, let's say that there are buildings that have doormen. Utilize flyers, utilize cards, utilize something that is tangible that can get in the hands of prospective customers. There's other forms of marketing out there, social media and elsewhere. But if you are a restaurant or a bar that has relied primarily on tourists, you absolutely need to pivot and have some of your marketing directed towards regulars. There are places who have done this. You can absolutely do it. We have a customer, Serendipity, who does an absolutely phenomenal job at running their restaurant in every way, shape, and form. And as much of a tourist attraction as Serendipity is, and it's a New York icon, they have a lot of loyal followers in New York City. And they've done it by brilliant marketing and positioning. And you can do the same thing. If you're aware of the fact that, hey, tourism may be challenged, where do I go to target it? So I would just say to everybody out there that these are some ideas that I have. Um, there are lots of other things you can do, but really give some thought to what I put in this podcast episode. If you're a successful restaurant, start thinking about how you're going to capitalize on trends in technology vis-a-vis a mobile app, trends in real estate, other trends that are out there that are moving in your direction. I believe the power is going to be moving substantially in the direction of paying tenants in the coming months and years. Be prepared for it. If you're a restaurant that's having a challenging time right now, whether it's the local establishment that caters to regulars, utilize communal viewing. If you're a restaurant that caters to tourists, seek to target the areas around you. But never, ever give up. You need to be creative. When circumstances in your business are not ideal, you need to ask yourself powerful questions that will lead to answers that can ultimately lead to success. And that was the purpose in doing this podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. If you have any questions, comments, if you agree with me, if you disagree with me, I would love to hear what you have to say. You can DM me at Wilco Foods on Instagram. You can email me at Stephen at WilcoFoods.com. And I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts. And as always, thank you for listening. It's always a pleasure. The next episodes will have guests, so I look forward to those as well. And have an awesome, awesome day. Hey, everyone. Thank you again for listening into the podcast. I hope that you got some value out of what I discussed. The book I want to recommend today is a book called Positioning by Al Reese and Jack Trout. It's a marketing book, and it had an enormous impact on my thinking. It really is a classic. And I think in this world that we live in now, where there's so many uh, different things pulling on people's attention. It's a great, great book to read and think about. It was written many years ago, so some of the language and examples may seem archaic, but the underlying concepts, I think, are more relevant today than ever before, and, and I think that you will enjoy this book, and I think this book will stimulate a lot of thinking for you in terms of what you can do to help differentiate your restaurant, your bar, your business from everyone else out there. So again, the book is Positioning by Al Reese and Jack Trout. As always, please shoot me an email and let me know what you think of it, Stephen at WilcoFoods.com, or you can reach out to me and DM me at WilcoFoods on Instagram. 
and uh, we'll just love to hear what you have to say. And thank you all for responding and giving me your thoughts, recommendations, and everything else to do with the book recommendations I've made in the past. I really, really appreciate it. Have a great day, guys, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.